0: We're pollinators! We're pollinators! Yes, like vegetables, Fresh fruit and flowers.
1: Give next to us box floor, our
0: power! If it were for the fact that we like the taste, you'd be out there wallowing in shoulder eye Welcome to Detour to Neverland, where you are the author of your own Disney story there's a lot of satisfaction in developing ideas into realities
1: and you can find magic in your everyday life
0: if you do what you really want to do you feel like you're playing how can you write your first chapter today dreams are how we figure out where we want to go life is how we get there i'm headed this way
1: we're your hosts brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 220. We are so excited that you're here with us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's episode and have a good rest of your week. Earlier on Monday, we released an episode with our friend Shane Ware, who is somewhere at Disney, and we had a lot of fun. We learned a couple things, and we think if you haven't already, you should definitely check it out.
0: Yeah. So today we're continuing our storytelling series, and this one is all about it's tough to be a bug. If you've listened to this show for a while, I have had some moments where I've been pretty critical of this attraction.
1: Very critical.
0: I'm going to do my best to be as non-biased and as, you know, objective as possible in the storytelling aspects of it's tough to be a bug. Did I get that out? Correctly.
1: Yes. However, when it comes to your Neverland score, that's when the gloves come off.
0: That's when the gloves come off. And then we can have a conversation about (laughs) what's wrong with it. But. We're looking at this through a storytelling lens, and if you're new to this series, what we're trying to do here is just take a deeper look at these attractions, trying to understand what is the story that's being told to us so that the next time you ride them, you appreciate them a little bit better, you notice something new, or you feel a different emotion, and so that's our goal here today. So, It's Tough to Be a Bug opened with Animal Kingdom on April 22nd, Earth Day of 1998, when the park opened. Another version was then added to Disney's California Adventure in 2001, and it ran from 2001 to 2018, where it was closed down to build something very exciting. Avengers Campus. If anybody's complaining about that, I'm sorry. I don't agree.
1: (laughs) I wouldn't complain, but I will say that I do wish we got to experience it. Or I guess I can just say that I got to experience it because you went.
0: I went, but I don't really remember it, to be honest.
1: I just think it would be like really colorful and really cute. We have like a Disneyland attraction um, vehicle poster, and it has all the little cars from Bugsland still. And I mean, they're adorable.
0: The Heimlich choo-choo.
1: Yes. I mean, come on. So I wish I would have gotten to see it in real life, but I understand getting rid of it.
0: So, of course, it is still in operation today at Disney's Animal Kingdom, where it is housed in the bottom of the tree of life. And that's where we will start our discussion, because you can't even begin to talk about It's Tough to Be a Bug without talking about the building that it is housed in. And I don't even know if you want to call it a building. I know technically it is, but that doesn't even encapsulate how iconic and how how much of a feat this structure is.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, this is by far, I mean, it's hard to beat Cinderella's castle, but this is by far like my favorite icon.
0: I think it is one of those. You talk a lot about castle reveal. So people talk about, you know, you go under the train station, you, and then it funnels you back in towards main street and you see the castle reveal. I think that the reveal of the tree of life Is Almost just as impactful um, because Tower of Terror, you can see it from outside of the park. Spaceship Earth, you can see it from outside the park as well. You can I guess you can technically see Cinderella's Castle from outside the park, but you can't really get a good glimpse at it until you're inside. The Tree of Life is completely hidden. You can't see it from the front gates. You can't see it from the parking lot. The only time that you can see it is after you've walked through those first trails and you get in. Speaking of which, are we a left group or a right group walking up those trails?
1: So walking up the trails, we're definitely on the left. And typically, I would even say that when we leave, we go... On that same path. So technically it would be on your right as you're exiting. Uh, Brendan went on the left if you're exiting. Mm-hmm. So like pretend like you're walking away from the tree. He went to the left and you should have seen my sister's face <laughs> when you went left. She was dumbfounded.
0: I didn't even know that happened.
1: Oh, yeah. She was like looking at me like, um, are we going to say something about this? We didn't. We just let it happen and we survived. But it was out of character.
0: So the tree of life stands at 145 feet tall, 50 feet wide and holds one hundred and three thousand translucent and five shade green leaves that blow in the wind, just like real leaves. And they can withstand hurricane speed winds.
1: (laughs) Hurricane (laughs) speed winds.
0: (laughs) That's what I said. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which makes sense. Obviously, it's got to withstand. I guess I've never noticed that like you've never seen a tr- uh, a leaf on the ground or anything. Yeah. Obviously, it would probably be picked up like immediately if that happened. But do you think they ever have to change them out? Or are they always the same ones have been attached since 1998?
1: I don't know. I mean, that would be an interesting question to ask someone at Animal Kingdom. I would assume just like anything else that they don't move, they don't fall off. I mean, and if one fell off, I mean, if there is one hundred and three thousand of them, would you really need to replace it kind of thing?
0: I bet Joe Rohde would.
1: Well, he's an exception to everything. But I would venture to say if something crazy happens and one blew away. You wouldn't really know.
0: I like to believe that they're all hundred and three thousand are still there. I'll go with it down to the single digit. Yep. But as far as park icons go, this one is actually rather short. So Cinderella's Castle is at one hundred and eighty nine feet tall and the Tower of Terror is one hundred and ninety nine feet tall. So it's a full like almost 50 feet shorter than both of those. Does it seem that way to you? No.
1: I mean, and that's what was surprising to me looking at some of these numbers and just comparing them, because I would have almost said If you were to line them up, I would agree that Tower of Terror is the tallest. I think that goes without saying. However, I would have almost said that the Tree of Life is taller than Cinderella's Castle. Just looking at it. I guess not.
0: I guess not. Yeah. And I don't know, because it's I want I was going to say it's like sunken down in there. But I guess it's not if it has to have an attraction underneath it.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how all that works, because I almost feel, too, like when you're going to the Tree of Life, you are walking downhill. Like to get there, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I don't know. So on the Tree of Life, of course, the most iconic part of it is all of the carvings. So there are more than 300. Some people say the official number is 325, but I don't know if anybody really knows. I feel like probably some animator got up there and hit a little one. And that adds a number to it as well.
1: I did read that there's a hidden Mickey somewhere.
0: Of course there is.
1: I don't know where I will probably never be able to find it, but I read somewhere that there's a hidden Mickey.
0: We are the worst hidden Mickey people on planet earth. I will write that on my gravestone that I can't find hidden Mickey to save my life. Um, so they're all carved into the tree trunk and the branches. And the team that put this together, there were three Imagineers and twenty artists working on it for eighteen months. The structure of the tree itself is created from refitted from a refitted oil platform and cement, and it's formed to be like the base of the baobab tree, which of course is the iconic tree that you see in Kilimanjaro Safari.
1: It's interesting because it's very. Fitting, Like it ties in to everything. I guess it's just kind of funny that I feel like when you look at the tree of life, it doesn't look like a baobab tree because it does have leaves. Like when they talk about it in Kilimanjaro Safari. I mean, they mentioned that it could have leaves, but the one there doesn't.
0: Okay, If you don't want any magic spoiled, skip ahead 30 seconds. But obviously we both know that the baobab tree Kilimanjaro Safari is not real. so you're shaking your head. You don't know that you don't accept that factor.
1: I'm, I'm not okay with that. I wasn't okay when I was like 12 years old and I found out that the tree of life wasn't real. So I'm just not okay with any of it.
0: Well, I just think it makes a more dramatic look on the safari where it doesn't have the leaves. Yeah. Cause you're going into the Savannah area yeah. at that point. Well, there's two, right? There's one going into the Savannah and then one going into the elephant area. Mm-hmm. Both not real. Sorry. Moving on. But I do think it's cool that you get a different depiction. I would agree. Baobab tree is not the first thing that I thought of when you see the tree of life. But Mm -hmm. I guess we've never seen a Baobab tree with leaves. Maybe that's exactly what Or in real life. Or in real life. Um, So when they were making this, whenever they poured the cement for each area, they had six to ten hours to go in and carve these animals before the cement dried. Isn't that crazy?
1: I mean, that's some craftsmanship right there. I mean, you have to go on with a plan. You have to know exactly what you're doing. I'm sure they had all kinds of models and drawings and, you know, they do everything over and over and over again so that it's perfect. But I mean, that's a lot of pressure, I feel like.
0: Oh, yeah. And I wonder, you know, was it sketched out very detailed beforehand or was it more just like this is your area do with it? With what you may.
1: Oh, no, I think they had it all planned out.
0: So, you knew right here, I'm drawing a scorpion on top of an orangutan's head.
1: Yeah. Because what if, let's say, they just gave all these artists creative freedom.
0: And they all drew the same animal.
1: Exactly. You'd end up with like five lions, 20 zebras. I mean, and some animals do repeat themselves. You know, you can find like a couple lists of animals And even just as you look at the Tree of Life, you can see some repeats, but I feel like there would be a lot more if everyone just had free reign.
0: Probably a lot of Hidden Mickeys, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They'd each be trying to make the best Hidden Mickey that Uh they could. But the Tree of Life almost never came to be. In the original concept for Animal Kingdom, the Tree of Life was not included, and Imagineers had planned for a carousel, or a Noah's Ark type structure, would, which would be the icon of the park. Who was it saved by, Catherine? Who do you think came to save the day and brought us, I think, both of our favorite icons in the parks?
1: I mean, it has to be the man, the myth, the earlobe, Joe Rody.
0: He's just the best.
1: He is the best.
0: Has he ever done anything wrong? Uh, no. Maybe build a structure around a Yeti, but that's a different story.
1: Hey, now. Hey, now.
0: You love disco Yeti?
1: Any form of Yeti.
0: So Joe Rohde suggested that the icon representation should be something that is alive, that that would fit better with the theme of the park. And I think he's exactly right. I think a carousel would have been awful. And I think uh, Noah's art type structure would be... Weird.
1: Yeah, that would definitely be a little off. I I know as far as a carousel, they kind of pivoted away from that because it was a little too uh, child like. That wasn't really the the idea that they were going for. So the Tree of Life definitely fits more.
0: So Joe Rody once said that the Tree of Life is a technological marvel, but it's also a symbol of the beauty and diversity and the grandeur of all our animal life on Earth. It's a celebration of our emotions about animals and their habitats. Tattoo that on my face.
1: (laughs) Well, that's a big quote to tattoo on a face. Maybe like an arm or like your back or something.
0: Whatever it might be, (laughs) I feel like I need to read that every day.
1: I mean, it just goes to show that when they created this park and we could gush about animal kingdom all day, but they really did have like a vision and a plan and they knew what they were trying to portray. And it is very different than the other parks. And I think that's why I like it.
0: And you had one fun story about some of these carvings, right? That you wanted to share.
1: Well, mostly just one in particular. So there is a carving of David Graybeard and That name, you're probably like, what? Who? That means nothing to me. Apparently, that's the name of the famous chimpanzee that was studied by Jane Goodall. So if you think back to our Kilimanjaro Safari episode, if you've been following along with us, if you haven't, definitely go listen to that one. That was a really fun episode and a really fun attraction to look into. But Jane Goodall did actually go um, to Animal Kingdom and, you know, check it out. she It's funny because they kind of used her as like a spokesperson for like to prove, I guess, that they were really, you know, treating the animals right. That they had a good facility and good, um, you know, care for the animals. And so they brought her to Animal Kingdom to kind of vouch for that. And when she was there, she saw the Tree of Life. And naturally, she asked if they had any chimpanzee carvings on the tree. Spoiler alert, there were not. (laughs) So in honor of Jane Goodall, they put one together and it was of her chimpanzee that she studied. And they decided to place him kind of right there at the entrance of a tough to be a bug. So if you've ever been on this attraction in Animal Kingdom, you've passed by This chimpanzee, it's the really, I mean, I can picture it in my head right now. It's really big. It's right there. You can't miss it. And there's even a plaque that tells his story. And I never realized that that's, that it, you know, it correlates.
0: Probably most of you know where this is, but when you say at the front of it's tough to be a bug, that can be a little confusing It's that at the end of the queue, right before you go into the attraction.
1: Okay. Yeah. So when I you see say, what you're saying.
0: When you say front, I think like where Doug and Russell meet. Uh,
1: okay. But yeah. It is right there. Like right before you go in the doors to actually enter into the, the lobby and like the theater.
0: And, you know, I think that's also it, the, the story and the richness of the tree of life And I promise you, we're going to circle this back to it's tough (laughs) to be a bug. But if if you're ever visiting Animal Kingdom, maybe you're a Disneyland person. You've never been to Animal Kingdom or maybe you go all the time and it's just not jiving with you like you're you don't get it. Because I know some people don't enjoy this park as much as we do. I think everyone it should be required studying (laughs) is to walk the Tree of Life trails. I honestly think it's like a therapeutic, life-changing event.
1: Well, it's very relaxing. And I think even for people, maybe if you have kids and you think, oh, they'll think it's so boring. I mean, you could turn it into a game. We actually saw a family this past weekend who was doing that. You know, you can make it a competition. You could play I Spy. I mean, that's what we do when we walk around. We just enjoy trying to find new animals. And I think every time we've walked back there, even just since we moved down, We found new animals.
0: And so it's there's almost never anybody back there. You'll maybe pass two or three families throughout your entire time there that you almost feel like you're in a secluded, hidden part of the park. Now, don't tell everybody (laughs) we don't want to see everybody back there at the same time. But I think it is. It's the one thing if you're visiting Disney World and you really want to get it. And especially Animal Kingdom, if you really want to get the power of imagineering and art and storytelling, I think the Tree of Life Trails prove it infinity times over. So it, within <laughs> this marvelous grandeur icon is it's tough to be a buck. Well, let's start with the movie. What's the source material on this thing?
1: Yes. So we have to start with the movie and the movie was released also in 1998 and it was loosely tied to the fable, The Ant and the Grasshopper. I had never heard of that before. I didn't really look into it, but loosely tied, kind of like when we talked about uh, Frozen Ever After, loosely tied. Um, And it was the second Pixar movie. So this came after Toy Story. So talk about some big shoes to fill.
0: Toy Story is 96?
1: I think 94. Okay. Somewhere in that realm. Someone will have to tell us who's right. 96, 94, around there. Um, But the storyline of A Bug's Life was created during a lunch conversation between John Lasseter, Andrew Stanton, Pete Docter, and Joe Rant.
0: I looked up Toy Story. Okay. Split the middle. Ninety five.
1: What? Ah, okay. Well, at least we're both kind of right. So all these people got together. um, The studio's head story team, they were having lunch and apparently they just decided to start throwing out ideas. So they came up with the idea for A Bug's Life, but it's also said that they came up with ideas like Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo and Wally. So the first thing that pops into my mind is how long is your lunch break? I get 30 minutes for lunch. (laughs) I could never come up with this much during my lunch break. And also, like, what were you eating? How do you just come up with these things in the middle of lunch? That's when I turn my brain off.
0: Must have been some good brain food.
1: Apparently. But in your opinion, Brendan... Which one of those ideas was the best to come out of that lunch?
0: Ooh. So Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, Wally. And and A Bug's Life. And A Bug's Life. I'm torn between Monsters, Inc. and Finding Nemo. I prefer Monsters, Inc. as a movie for its comedic value. But Finding Nemo is. Do you remember how much of a craze Finding Nemo was? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was everywhere. I'm going to say Monsters, Inc. just because I think it's a more unique storyline.
1: I was actually going to say Monsters, Inc. too. So I guess we agree there. But when they came up with the storyline for A Bug's Life, using ants or insects as characters wasn't a completely out there idea. Disney had actually considered producing a film in the late 1980s that was called Army Ants. But of course, it never came to life. And Walt Disney produced his own version of the grasshopper and the ant. So, again, that's the fable that the that a bug's life is based around. He created his own version in 1934.
0: Is that on Disney Plus? Oh, gosh.
1: I don't know. Probably not.
0: We need to go see him.
1: We should look it up. Yeah. <laughs> but his team, Lasseter and his team, they were drawn to these insects As characters, and that's kind of why they started with A Bug's Life, because like toys, since they had just finished Toy Story, they were easy for them to animate using their computers. They had simple surfaces, nothing crazy, nothing like if you think about Monsters, Inc., oh my gosh, and like Sully and like the crazy amount of hair that he has. It was nothing like that. It was very simple. And if you look at A Bug's Life, they are very simple, I think they still look good, but they're simple.
0: The grasshoppers have more detail than the ants. That's true. The bird looks pretty cool.
1: But if <laughs> I don't remember where we saw it, but we did see like a side by side of like when A Bug's Life came out compared to. I don't remember what the other movie was, but it is a drastic difference.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, you can even tell that in Toy Story compared Toy Story 1 to Toy Story 3 or 4. Well, three, we don't admit that four exists, but no. compare it to three. It's (laughs) it's crazy how far it came. And also, it's hard to believe that Pixar. Is only 25 years old, 26 years old at this point. Yeah, that's not too long of a time for a production company,
1: especially one to be so successful. Yeah. Yeah. However, so they came up with this idea for A Bug's Life, but here we have a plot twist. So we have like the dark side to A Bug's Life. Um, The plot line of A Bug's Life has several similarities to the DreamWorks movie, which is called, very original, Ants with a Z. Do you remember that movie, Brendan?
0: I do remember that movie.
1: I have probably seen this movie only maybe like once or twice, but... Of course, the premise is you have an ant and other ants. I don't know. (laughs) I really don't know the, the movie, but just from the title. So the movie is called Ants and it was actually released in the same year that A Bug's Life was released. And it was released a month earlier than A Bug's Life was released. And this was because Jeffrey Katzenberg formed DreamWorks after he was kicked out of Disney because of a feud. And when he left, obviously, he knew that a bug's life was in development. So he kind of took the idea, brought it to his own company, and he gave crazy monetary um what would you call that bribes
0: incentives
1: incentives is the better word. Yes. He gave crazy incentives to get ants pushed out before a bug's life. He was desperate to beat him to the punch and it didn't really matter. Bugs life outperformed ants in theaters by a landslide.
0: So if you want to learn more about Jeffrey Katzenberg, you kind of, I he did good things and bad things. But if you want to get a better picture of who he was and how he ran the animation department, watch Waking Sleeping Beauty. He is, I would say, quote unquote, one of the main characters of that documentary.
1: It's, it's very interesting. We can't speak highly enough about Disney documentaries on Disney Plus. They're very interesting.
0: I also think it's very interesting if you look at the cast of Ants. They had some huge names on this movie. Woody Allen, Dan Aykroyd, Danny Glover, Jennifer Lopez, Sylvester Stallone, Sharon Stone, Christopher Walken. Holy cow. That is quite the cast.
1: He was out for blood, I think. I mean, I feel like it's kind of obvious
0: who was in a Bug's Life? I know that Kevin Spacey was Hopper.
1: Hayden uh Panettiere. Is that how you say her name? Yeah. She was
0: Dot. Dave Foley and Julia Louise Dreyfus from Seinfeld. Mm. So good, but not as big as the I bet their their budget for casting was maybe half of what Ants was.
1: That's probably fair.
0: See, I was always... This is like a revisionist history thing. Like, I was always under the impression that Ants was released after A Bug's Life.
1: No. No.
0: Because the story is always told that they stole the idea from Disney Pixar. But I didn't realize that he rushed it so quickly to try to beat him. And it didn't work.
1: It didn't work. So when A Bug's Life was released it got great reviews audience loved it and it really was a box office success so they grossed 363 million worldwide and its budget was 120 million so they did very well and interestingly enough it wasn't even the success of the movie that caused them to put it's tough to be a bug in the tree of life because the attraction debuted in Animal Kingdom 7 months before the movie was released in theaters. So Disney didn't even know that a bug's life was going to be a hit. They, I don't know if they knew or not that ants was going to be released, but thinking about it still, I think that was a huge gamble. I mean, don't you?
0: Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine them doing something like that nowadays.
1: No, I mean, because that even not that we knew If you just think about it's tough to be a bug versus a bug's life, you don't necessarily know the story of a bug's life just just from watching it's tough to be a bug. But you do familiarize yourself with the characters, you know, Flick, you know, Hopper, you know. I mean, you know that much. We would never know that much about a movie.
0: I wonder if that's the reason why Flick and Hopper are the only two characters in it from the movie, because they didn't know which Side characters were going to latch on and who would get cut and so on and so forth.
1: That's possible. And it also a lot of people sometimes wonder about it's tough to be a bug. Why is Hopper in there if, you know, he gets supposedly eaten by the bird, I guess, at the end of the movie? Well, people didn't know that.
0: You hear this argument a lot of times on very, on a lot of attractions. Yeah. And. I feel like Disney has broken that rule so many times before.
1: But this does kind of give, at least for someone who would argue that, like, why is he in there? You could share this fun fact and you could win. I feel like.
0: That's true. So this takes place before a bug's life.
1: I guess so. Yeah.
0: It's just interesting. Like, there's so much, you know, obviously I spent a lot of time in the nerd Villages of Star Wars (laughs) and there's always discussion about that of how is Batu, how does it fit into the canon and yada 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 it's like they break this rule all the time Mm -hmm. like people are talking about that with Princess and the Frog now going forward is can they put Rey in the new ride I think they still can but who knows
1: my opinion is anything's possible at Disney. When I go and see these attractions, that's not something that ever crosses my mind. It's like, why is that character there? They shouldn't be there because I just think, oh, we're at Disney. Anything's possible. So that's kind of where my mind goes. But I understand when people make arguments
0: like that. So it's just I can't imagine. I mean, do you think when they suggested let's build this Huge attraction. And at that time, they didn't have Everest. They really only had they didn't have dinosaur. They really only had Kilimanjaro to lean back on. So it had to draw a lot of people in at the beginning. We all know Animal Kingdom struggled out of the gate. (laughs) And maybe this is a reason why is because nobody had an emotional connection to this.
1: Or we're going to talk about it here in a second. Or you could look at it from the perspective of, hey, Pixar is going to release a new movie with these characters. I want to go see what it's about, because if they release Toy Story, obviously Toy Story was a hit. So people are probably interested in Pixar and what's going to come next. I mean, that would be enough to pique my interest.
0: Are you suggesting that it could have been a marketing stunt to get more people to the box office? Maybe
1: I, w- I wouldn't put it past Disney. I'm just saying it's a possibility. That's not in any research I did. I just think it could be possible.
0: Now we're stuck with it 22 years later.
1: You mean we get to experience it 22 years later. So let's talk about the story for it's tough to be a bug. So about a year before Animal Kingdom opened, they knew they were going to have the Tree of Life. Disney Imagineers knew that they wanted to put something inside the Tree of Life But of course, they struggled with what they wanted to feature. And I can imagine that that's a hard decision. I mean, this is the icon for the park. You don't want it to flop, right?
0: I mean, yeah, it's the first cue that people come to when they come into the park.
1: The first concept that they came up with centered around Rafiki, which is sounds like a good idea. But Rafiki would take guests on a journey through the natural world. And in this idea, Rafiki would be telling stories about the animal carvings around the tree.
0: Build this tomorrow.
1: You think?
0: I'm still down for that idea.
1: You're down for anything that gets rid of. It's stuff to be a bug. Remember when you were going to be unbiased?
0: Okay. But if you just think about Rafiki telling the story of the carvings and bringing those to life... I mean, that's the spirit of animal kingdom, I feel like.
1: I can agree with that, but I don't think you could do that in like a better or more theatrical, more dramatic way than it's tough to be a bug. I think it's tough to be a bug has a lot of good things going for it, but we'll get to that here in a minute. (laughs) So it was later Michael Eisner who suggested that they use A Bug's Life because it was an upcoming movie. So I don't know what exactly he was thinking, but maybe it was a marketing idea. Um, So it was upcoming. And then the creative team was tasked with, you know, developing its own story strictly based around the characters. So it's not one of those where they're retelling what happened in the movie. This is something completely separate. So even if you're not familiar with the movie or I don't know what kids today watch, but I guess if they're not familiar with the movie, a bug's life, they can still go watch. It's tough to be a bug and understand what's going on.
0: Which is good, right? Good. Good.
1: So good. I'm glad you're on the same page. So originally, they had planned to run the show for 12 minutes, but there is a deleted scene. And I never would have guessed that this would be the deleted scene. The deleted scene was going to be a dating game show where Flick would interview three different, I guess, bachelorettes from species that were known for eating their mates. So you would have a black widow, a praying mantis, and a jumping spider. Fun fact, we had a jumping spider on our car the other day. It was crazy looking.
0: What was his name? Oh, Fluffy.
1: Fluffy. Yeah. He stuck around for a long time. <laughs> but this was scrapped when Eisner disapproved of the idea of interspecies
0: dating. I mean, it's weird.
1: It's weird. But when you think about, you know, so today when you go see It's Tough to Be a Bug, if we look at the story of what's there today, Flick is hosting this show. Kind of, I don't want to call it a talent show, but it's all these different bugs kind of showcasing what makes them unique. We're getting a glimpse into what it's like to be a bug.
0: And I feel like the overarching goal of that is to familiarize yourself with them so that you don't harm them so that you are kinder to bugs going forward. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the goal. Flick it. Flick wants to introduce you to like these interesting kind of quirky things about each of these bugs and make you feel like you know them.
0: And obviously, Hopper disagrees. He thinks that humans will never come around and understand them.
1: Mm hmm. So he. That's why he gets very upset when he sees all the humans in the theater. So I mean, I feel like it kind of fits with what they were going for, but it is a little out there. I would have been interested to see since you know, like all the special effects go with all the different bugs. What would they do with (laughs) a species that's known for eating their mate?
0: I yeah. I mean. Maybe it had some funny moments, but i that's a hard sell for me.
1: It is kind of strange. Who's. OK, this might be hard for you, but out of all the bugs that they show in It's Tough to Be a Bug, who is your favorite?
0: My favorite bug in It's Tough to Be a Bug. Yes. What's his name? Chili?
1: Ah, oh, He yeah. was mine.
0: Chili's funny, at least. Funny. I don't like the spitting termite guy.
1: So to get into some of the highlights of It's Tough to be a Bug, it does feature a lot of technology. So you have to wear the glasses. So it's 3D. You have all of the effects. So you have fog. It does do the whole like water spitting out at you. There are smells. There are things that come down from the ceiling and then there are things that poke you in your chair.
0: So this is what I want to talk about. OK, this is what I've been waiting for. All right. I if you take away the poking of my butt and my back, I think I would thoroughly enjoy this show.
1: So you think it's too immersive? Correct. Correct. Hmm.
0: I think that if it's just a funny show, they spray some water on you. Maybe you get the rumbles under your butt. The poking and the stinging is scarring.
1: It is quite alarming. And I will say I always sit on the edge of my seat now because I don't like it. But I mean, talk about a thrill. And. If you were to go like witness that or experience that, I guess I should say, before the movie even released.
0: I feel like that's pretty cool. I mean, so like me personally. Went on this ride as this attraction as a kid, I would assume I think my family went in 98 or 99. So very. So I was seven or eight at this time going to Animal Kingdom, going to this nice little bug show that's (laughs) in the tree of life. The fear that I got from those things poking me, I'm still not over it at 27 years old. Maybe that's just a me problem. (laughs) But I think other people have had this issue as well. And I'm lucky that I was a catcher back in my baseball days. So I can squat really well and not sit on the seat. I get a good thigh workout at the end of this because (laughs) I'm leaning up over my chair to avoid this. Every time I think I'm just going to sit through it. I know it's just a little plastic thing poking me. I just can't get over the psychological scarring that happened. And I think that's happened to so many different people as well.
1: I mean, we talk about it a lot. But a lot of these attractions or rides are very polarizing. You either love it or you hate it. I feel like this one definitely falls into
0: that category. What do you lose if you take that away? Not much.
1: Well, I I do think you lose something because it's part of that immersiveness. Like when, you know, it's supposed to be scary. And I would say. Out of all the attractions, really, this might be one of the scariest because of the immersiveness. You know, you have Hopper. Everything's dark. You get the fog. You get the spiders. And then he says, you know, release the stingers or whatever it is. Brendan wouldn't let us ride it on Saturday or go on it on Saturday. So I don't know exactly what they say. But, you know, release the stingers and then you feel it. Like you truly feel like you're a bug.
0: You can get that same effect just by blowing air on me.
1: No, you can't.
0: I would disagree. Imagine taking a child who is a little eh, about rides and attractions. You take them to dinosaur. They think they're being eaten alive by a Carnotaurus. That's scary. You have to admit that's scary. Yeah. And then you follow that up and say. Oh, honey, this is just a show about little bugs. And then they get stung in the back by a hornet.
1: In my opinion, that sounds like a parenting decision. I'm serious. You got to know. I was a baby growing up. I didn't do anything scary. You got to pick your battles.
0: Well... I don't know what I need to do to unravel this damage that has been done to me by this ride. I think you're too far gone. But I'm yeah, I've I'm still not over it after all these years. And I don't think I'll ever be over it. So at this point, I think it's just best if we go our separate ways <laughs> and I, I don't interact with that attraction anymore. I OK, here's what I'll say about it. I will walk with you all the way to the theater because I think the queue is that awesome you see so many different animals that you can't see from the tree of life trails or you can't see from anywhere else. So that part is amazing, but that doesn't play any extra into the ride itself.
1: No. Mm-mm.
0: Um, there's some funny posters when you get down near the theater.
1: And that is part of, you know, if we are talking about storytelling, I do think the process of walking through like the tree of life and going down into the trunk and into the ground. And they have all those posters that mimic um, Broadway shows and they're highlighting the um, you know, the bugs that are like the main attractions. I think it does put you into that space very well. Like it all fits in together. You're in a tree, you're a bug You know, you have to put on your bug glasses like I think there's a lot that they do really well to tell that story. And I do think it starts like as you're walking into the actual tree of life.
0: I would agree with that. I just don't like the attraction. Well, I just don't like one aspect of the attraction. You're giving me a look to move on.
1: Well, I can only listen to you complain about it for so long.
0: All right, let's get our listener scores and their stories on this, and then we'll circle back and give our Neverland scores. Yes. For it's tough to be a bug. So, of course, if you want to share yours for next week's episode, you can head to our pod or to our Facebook group, Detour to Neverland Podcast Community. That link is down in the show notes as well. Every week we come on here and ask and put up the score sheet for you to fill it out yourself, and then we'll read it on air. So Ryan said... First, he said 5.75. I really like how it's funny and scary. And we can't record this episode without bringing this up. If anybody's watched the news. You've probably seen the doofus who got kicked out of Hollywood Studios the other day, who was misquoting things from A Bug's Life as he was getting kicked out. Not very funny that he was such a dummy, but it is funny that he was quoting A bug's life. And so Ryan said, if one guy stands up, one ant stands up. (laughs) Nicely played.
1: Nicely played.
0: How ironic was this timing for us?
1: (laughs) So our friend Sean gave it a zero. Easiest he's ever done. Brendan would probably agree if he didn't have to follow our rubric more strictly.
0: Erica gave it a four. I do love to take first timers, timers on it for certain She gave it full scores for immersion, zero for fast pass that she would never fast pass it. I think that's fair.
1: I mean, you basically agree with that.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And then Stacy gave it a 2.25, but only because of how terrifying it is. I swear the seats zap you. It is a full immersion attraction, but not in a good way. And I think that's a pretty common thing. I mean, at least we can all agree that it does have the immersion. Factor that we're looking for. Um, There's just, you know, I think the fear factor and the stinging factor play into it.
0: How does that not scare you?
1: I mean, it it does. And I already said I don't necessarily enjoy it, but I do enjoy what it does when you look at it from the story perspective.
0: I have a proposition for Walt Disney Imagineering. Hear me out. Let's have alternating rows like mission space. <laughs> we have green rows where there's no stinging and you have orange rows for those maniacs that enjoy being stung. Fair?
1: Kind of fair. Cause then you lose the, you know, like the excitement for the people who have never done it before.
0: Well, then they know they're going to
1: get stung.
0: You just tell them something's going to happen. And
1: Something bad. So I'm going to sit in this row. Something bad's
0: going to (laughs) happen. And I can promise you next time you're at it, you'll be in green. But you got to do orange at least once. It's a rite of passage.
1: Oh, my goodness. All
0: right. Neverland scores.
1: You go first, Brendan.
0: I gave it a 3.25. I gave it high marks in immersion. I also gave it high marks in thrill factor because the (laughs) description was my throat hurts from screaming. And that is me. On this attraction. Uh, and I rated it poorly. I said I'd never fast pass it. Uh, nostalgia. I remember the ride, but not in a good way. I do have very young memories <laughs> of this. And then how much do you miss it? I'd be OK if I never wrote it again, which was tough. I've never said that before about something. And here we are. And here we are.
1: Um. So my score was higher. I gave it a five and a half, actually, And mostly because of the immersion. Um, As far as nostalgia, we did do this one a lot as a kid. Um, So I gave it high marks for that. Most of mine were just kind of middle of the road. Like I don't feel super strongly one way or another, except for standby worthy. It did have a weight this weekend. And that might have been also part of why we didn't do it, because We're not willing to wait for it. Like, I'll wait for the next show. I'll wait for the doors to open, but I don't want to wait in line.
0: All kidding aside, I do think everybody needs to do this at least once. And if you have to do Crouching Tiger like me at the very end, that's fine. But the message that it does portray, I think, is on brand with Animal Kingdom.
1: It is. They do talk about all the good things at the end. The little song talks about all the good things that bugs do for you.
0: So pollination and whatever. Cleaning up waste. Cleaning up waste. I do think it does bring an element to the parks that is otherwise missed. There's nowhere else in the parks that they talk about bugs. Mm -mm. Maybe in some of the trails, but not much. So I do think it serves a a good role. I just think the execution is not for me, but just solely based on storytelling, I think it's really good. And I agree. But you do like the execution.
1: I yeah, I do.
0: We had a discussion earlier about what is your favorite show like this. Mm, mm-hmm. Mine is Philhar Magic. And you said yours is it's tough to be a bug.
1: Yeah, I said this would be mine. And it's strictly because I do really appreciate the Hopper animatronic. I think he's awesome. Um, Just looking at him, he's very detailed. I like that it's not just a screen that, you know, you do have Hopper. You have all the other elements that we talked about. The smells, the feels, the water. I appreciate it
0: actually Resend mine muppet vision 3D is my favorite. Mm,
1: yeah.
0: yeah. that sweetums animatronic is really good, right?
1: very good. you think he's real?
0: You, some might say that. but i don't know. i i've i've tried to keep my bias out. you think you, i did? you've it?
1: done such a good job. <laughs>
0: well, glad to know it. what do you want to talk about next week?
1: So next week? We are headed over to Disneyland and we're going to talk about Snow White's Scary Cheers. We're going to keep up a trend. It's spooky season.
0: It is spooky season. You got to keep up the
1: trend of scary things.
0: The Mickey pumpkin wreaths are out, so it is official. We're here for it.
1: We are so excited.
0: So we are heading to Magic Kingdom this weekend to check out those decorations. If you want to follow along with us on Instagram, we'll be posting some of our adventures over there. Mainly just cavalcades. That's all we want to see. Oh, yeah. You just want to hear boo to you.
1: All the Halloween things. That's what you can expect if you're already over it or if you're not ready for it. Then we're not your kind of people because we're here for it.
0: I think my plan is I'm going to start in Frontierland where the floats come out. And I'm just going to follow the Jack Skellington float because Oogie Boogies on the back. And I'm just going to marvel at him (laughs) all the way to the front gates.
1: We'll see if that And works then we'll out.
0: circle back around and do it again. So thank you so much for joining us. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We will be back next Monday with another episode. And then Snow White's Scary Adventure will be next Wednesday. So subscribe if you're not already. If you're ever looking for a way to help the show, leaving an iTunes review is the absolute best thing that you can do for us. So we truly appreciate it if you take the time to do that. Hope you have a wonderful weekend and we will talk to you next week.